Hey guys, real quick, before we get into episode 76 with Jennifer George, I just want to have a quick chat with you and say thank you. Uh, thank you for the constant support on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thank you for the support on the podcast, reaching out to us, giving us feedback on the episodes, what you liked, um, what you want to see more of. It really does mean a lot to us and it keeps pushing us to put out the best content possible for you guys. With that being said, we wanted to continue with reading five-star reviews that we've gotten on our iTunes. So this week, we're going to read a review from our boy, Saroosh. Saroosh said, if you're looking for a solid podcast with a ton of great conversations hosted by two unreal clinicians, he's a bit biased maybe, and individuals in the physiotherapy industry, then look no further. Make sure to tune to the PT Coffee Cast for an entertaining listen packed with valuable lessons and thinking points. These guys are doing an unreal job, and the episodes just keep getting better and better. Sarush, man, thank you so much for that positive feedback. means the world to us to hear from you. Uh, we also, you know, love what you're doing with the PT Business Corner and all your business endeavors. So thanks, man. We appreciate it. Guys, if you want to leave us a five-star review, head over to iTunes, subscribe to the PT Coffee Cast, drop us a review, and we're going to start reading at least one review on uh, each of our interview episodes just to show you guys a little love because we do read the reviews and we really do appreciate the positive feedback or the negative feedback, whatever you guys have to say. We always want to get better. If you aren't following us, head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Follow us at the MVMT PTs. If you want to reach us on email, you can reach us at themovementpts at gmail.com. And if you want to get yourself a bag of the original blend because you know you want that good coffee, head over to themovementpts.com, get yourself a bag, and I highly suggest you start brewing your coffee in an AeroPress. It's the best way to make your coffee. Me and Will both love it. Try it out. Let us know what you think. So enough of me. Enjoy this episode with Jennifer George on communication is care. Also, make sure you're sipping some coffee because you know that's most important. All right, guys. Cheers. Welcome to the Movement PT Coffee Cast, where we sit down and talk about physical therapy, health, and whatever else comes to mind during our coffee-infused conversations. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Movement PT Coffee Cast. My name's Dalton, and with me, as always, is my beautifully bearded friend, William. William, how are we doing today? Doing really good, Dalton, yeah. because, you know, we're here together. Can we just cheers, man? I haven't seen Absolutely. you in a while. Cheers. <laughs> we'll send the coffee. Yeah, it's All not right. often that we're kind of, you know, hanging out, able to do the podcast like this, which is cool. I think. In person, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, feel, I feel good. I feel ready to go. <laughs> um, okay, let's get into it. Today we have a wonderful guest. She's a physiotherapist um, from the Windsor, uh, Ontario area. Her name's Jennifer George. She's also an author and she has a big passion for communication and connection. And we're excited to have her on today. Jennifer, welcome. Thanks guys. I'm excited to be here and connect with you both (laughs) today. And you guys have like kind of like an uh, unspoken sort of uh, connection. Yeah. Yeah. We're from... The same general area, like the Windsor County <laughs> area. Like yeah. In that area, you naturally just know that we're great people. That's, that's right. <laughs> yeah, just ine- inevitably. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited. Jen, before we get... I started following you guys on Instagram a short while ago. Oh, nice. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> um, before we get we get into it, why don't you just start off, give, your, give our listeners just a little bit of background like on who you are and maybe like what you've been doing over the last little um, couple of years and where you are now. Yeah. So um, I've been practicing as a physio since 2007. 
Um, but in the last five plus years, I've found my home on inpatient rehab at Hotel Dew Hospital. So I work on a general rehab unit there. Um, I'm also a published author as of late. <laughs> um, so my book just released, Communication is Care, in June of this year. Um, but I was also a caregiver to my dad um, on the onset of my career as a physiotherapist in 2007. So my life as a caregiver and as a physio started to kind of parallel each other. So that's how this book kind of evolved as well. So yeah, that's a bit about me. Yeah, I, um, I binge read your book this week. <laughs> it's it was, a quick it's a quick read yeah but it, it, was, really it, was, it was really good like I, I really appreciated um the the nine strategies that you gave and just a lot of the the stories that you told um with examples from like your your career as a physio as well as like you being a caregiver for your dad so um I really appreciated that um before we, before we get into the nitty-gritty of the book I just wanted to like ask a little bit more about you and like your journey. I noticed like scrolling through your Instagram page, um, like fitness is a big thing um, that you that you like. So can you talk a little bit about that and why it's such like a priority in your life? Yeah, so um, when I grew up, like growing up, I was always very active, very athletic. I was a bit of a tomboy. So physical activity has always been a source of play for me too. Um, getting into high school, I had a bit of a hormonal change and I, to be honest, I, I'm, I'm only five foot three and I was five foot three then. And I remember seeing the scale and it was, you know, it's tipping at 189.9 and I had a revelation that, you know, I was going to be 200 pounds and, um, I decided to kind of take control of my health and make better decisions. And that's, so from that standpoint, over the years, it kind of started, with weight and um, body image in a sense, but also health um, because I knew my health was detrimental at that point. Um, but in most recent years, especially practicing as a physio and writing my book, um, physical fitness is more of an, a, a deep appreciation now. So I, I, it sustains me because I'm grateful for my body and I'm grateful for how it can move on command and I'm grateful for its resiliency and for its ability to keep me independent and self-sufficient and happy. So that's what has kept me um, grounded in physical fitness and that's why I have a deep passion for it. Yeah, so it's evolved over the years for sure. Yeah. And did you, you said, uh, so you've obviously like made a little bit of a career shift in the last like five or so years? Yeah, so um, into inpatient rehab, yeah. So I've always been, so I first started in like orthopedics mainly and then went into long-term care, but I've always had a progressive approach to treatment and that didn't always fit the model I was in or the framework I was working in uh, among staff and stuff. So I had to kind of create my own space with that and I had to take a chance on a position on inpatient rehab and found that this is exactly, you know, what aligns with my integrity as a professional, which is that progressive approach to, to, um, to health and restoring wellness and independence again. So, yeah. And that kind of aligned with my own health and well-being, Right. So. Yeah. I think we can get on board with that. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. For sure. Um, what, what led you towards like, obviously your book's titled communication is care. Like what, what led you down the route of like seeing how important communication is um, and why you kind of wanted to push that message more. Yeah. So getting into physio itself as a career, you know, communication isn't the reason why most people probably get into physiotherapy, right? We get into physio because we have an innate desire to help people or we have a fascination with the science of the human body and how to optimize wellness with it. But 
Um, that's what started me in physio, of course. But then being a caregiver to my dad and um, that happening at the same time, I saw and felt and experienced firsthand the impact of positive and negative um, communicated interactions with, with healthcare providers. And I saw that the impact that had on my dad's healing and his demeanor, um, as well as our uh, outlook as caregivers. So then I started to realize um, that there was a bit of a communication gap and how that impacted healing. And, you know, I reflected on why communication couldn't always be positive, right? Despite dealing with people with pain and impairments and barriers, why couldn't we still speak about it in a positive way so that they felt comfortable in our care, right? So that's kind of uh, what what led to its importance. And then currently, you know, I always reflect on my patient outcomes. And, you know, I can have two patients with the same impairments, similar treatment approaches. And oftentimes it comes down to rapport in terms of meaningful outcomes. So, yeah, that's... I think that you kind of like came to that through your personal experience because I know like recently uh, having gone in a situation with like family members where they're interacting with healthcare providers, you realize mm -hmm. the impacts of poor communication and yeah. kind of like that, you know, you shouldn't maybe assume that like what you're saying is being uh, perceived correctly. You know? Right. Exactly. And, you know, the importance of engaging patients and families and, and telling them that they're or encouraging them, I should say, to be a partner in their care right, from the onset of it, rather than, you know, I'm just going to assess you and I'm going to, to do treatment on you and all this stuff, right, doing to somebody rather than doing with and having them guide us. So that's kind of how my practice has evolved, um, just reframing the way I say things and um, making patients self-aware of their role and their importance and value in their care. So, Do you find that happens gradually over time? Uh, or is that like an overt discussion you have uh, with your clients on day one? I find it happens, sometimes it happens on the onset. It just depends on the pace of the person I'm working with. Um, I've had people that have been very disengaged in my care. And I'll say to them, you know, you seem, I use the word engaged. I'll say like, I feel like I'm kind of pulling you in. Um, you know, do you feel engaged in your care? And sometimes they don't. And the reason has oftentimes nothing to do with me, right? It has nothing to do with physio. It has to do with something greater that's on their mind um, that's taking priority and importance. And so I give them that space, right? And I reapproach at a later time or I let them know that I'm here. And oftentimes patients will, you don't realize the impact that that has until you see them later again. Um, and they surprise you. They, they kind of show up and say, you know, that really meant a lot to me or I'm ready now or, you know, uh, yeah, they, they have more of an openness, I guess you can say, to your care. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point because I think just as physios, we have this like natural, uh, I don't know, predisposition towards like wanting to be a hero. Right. Yeah. Yes. So wanting to save lives. Yeah. Totally. And it's not about us, right? And that's what we have to realize is that we might know what's right for them clinically, but patients have to receive that, right? They have to be open and allow you to um, give them that treatment approach. And you have to do it in such a way that makes them feel like they're a part of it too, right? And that's a hard thing to do. Communication is very challenging. It's, yes. you know, it's always been considered a bird course for people in 
you know, school, right? But it's really not. It's probably one of the hardest things we have to do around the, the care that we give. So, for sure. Yeah. Um, I really liked how you started off your book with like talking about defining and like aligning your your purpose. Yeah. I guess how would you go about defining your purpose, and then how has that like developed over time, and or has it developed over time? It has. I mean, my purpose as a physio has always been to help people, for sure. Um, but in terms of kind of walking through what I do every day, I always reflect. I always take inventory of what I need. Um, so whether it's a health-related issue, whether it's a relationship-related issue, uh, financial, I, I basically make that a priority. Um, physical fitness, like we just talked about, is considered a, a bit of play for me, but it's also considered a fundamental for me and a part of who I am. So I always that's considered a non-negotiable as well and something I, I do every day almost. And then I always find gratitude. So gratitude's a big thing for me. I wake up with it, I go to bed with it, and I literally spew words of gratitude um, during my day, especially when times are pretty stressful. And I found, I found that over time that leads to growth for myself personally and professionally. When I first started practicing though, again, I got into the, to the profession to help people, but now um, how, as I've evolved um, as a professional too and as a person, I've gone beyond, and that's why I wrote this book, I've gone beyond the direct impact that I can have on my 10 patients, right? And now it's like, okay, I've written this book, and maybe something that I've helped, you know, Dalton with, like enlightened you with, will now help your patient. So my, my impact, I'm hoping, will become more of a mass effect, right? Rather than just my direct effect that I can have on the 10 patients I have right now. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's, we're in a time where you have the ability to do that through so many different mediums. And it, it, it's actually, it's amazing that we can do that. If you're putting out, putting out positive information and positive things into, into the spaces, it's great. Yeah. And networking with like-minded professionals and doing that is, is awesome. Yeah. Um, another thing you're talking about is like, it kind of goes with what you just said, maybe like satisfying your own needs as like a person. And like you named a couple of things, like obviously exercising is a big part of your life in a way of play, like giving gratitude. How, like, how would you give people advice on trying to satisfy those needs in their own life? I know it's a tough question because it's obviously very individual to the person, but maybe through your own examples of how you did it. Cause I know for me personally, it gets challenging, like just with, you know, work and all these other things to try to find that time to satisfy your own needs. But I've recently started to realize how important that that is for, for myself as like a human and to like then be able to go out and do the job the way that I want to be able to do it. So right. maybe yeah. talk a little bit about that. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So, um, for me, especially, um, I always think about I always, again, I'm big on reflection and that's in the book um, because I think the only way to know what you need is to reflect on where you're at. And so, for example, just recently launching my book, there was a big media frenzy around it, right? So for two weeks straight, I was like a zombie in a way because I was waking up early to do interviews and I was rehearsing and things like that. I've never been in the media. So it was such a big learning curve for me, right? In meeting so many different people and adapting to different people in different situations, plus having to work full time and plus trying to stay committed to my own personal health and well-being. So sometimes I've encouraged people to literally like write things down in an agenda. So if it's gotten so chaotic and so busy, for example, um, if physical fitness is something you enjoy, put that in your calendar. Don't just assume it's something you're going to do. 
Um, for my fellow clinicians, I have, I know a lot of people who work through their lunch hour, for example, I actually tell them to, so if you're an outpatient um, clinician and you set your own schedule, maybe online or, or whatnot, to literally put your lunch hour in to your schedule, and that's what's going to make you stop for a moment and give some time to that because you need your downtime too. So I'm a bit of an introvert too, so um, prioritizing my time for myself is very important. Um, so I don't hesitate to say no to things that don't serve me and in turn will serve my patients. So yeah, being committed to your, own, to your own needs is very important and staying true to that. It's very easy to get pulled because you are becoming, you guys are putting more content out there, right? So for example, so people are going to want to pull at you in many different directions, but how do you stay true to your intention of this podcast and what you guys are trying to do in the greater overall picture, right? Mm -hmm. Always coming back to that. Yeah. Were you going to say something? Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's like understanding yourself <clears throat> a little bit so you know, you know, what refuels your tank. And exactly. what you need to keep it full. Exactly. And, and, and right. And what rejuvenates you, right? Yeah. So if you're working and it's not refueling you in a way because you've had a, a great day or you've had a great situation happen and it drains you, then that's a problem, right? And it de yeah. deserves more reflection. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely comes back to maybe that first point too of like <clears throat> like your purpose and what, and, and maybe even your values as a person and like what you want in your daily life so that if you know what those things are then you're going to be like okay like i'm going to make sure i do these things or i'm going to make i might say no to this because it doesn't align with what i want or it's not going to get me towards those things so i'm going to say no to that right and, and be unapologetic about it right yeah and that's something that i think everyone struggles mm -hmm. with but like i've definitely struggled with that over the last little while too is just like saying no to things that might take your energy away from from other things that you're actually trying to get to right yeah and it's just, and I think that comes with time and self-awareness and, you know, sometimes we think we want something and then when it comes, it's like, okay, and now it becomes so much more <laughs> and yeah, how do you stay true to that initial intention and purpose, right? And stay grounded in that. Yeah. Um, compassion and empathy. Those are big buzzwords. I feel like in, in the physiotherapy world right now for a good reason, obviously, um, but could you kind of break down maybe how you demonstrate like some compassion and empathy throughout your, your care and like kind of define what that means? For sure. If I could share a story, maybe that would highlight this well, because this is just something that recently happened. Um, so in my clinical space, usually we're treating um, about two patients an hour instead of, you know, more of an outpatient setting, which might be more. So one patient was getting ready to participate in care. So we were having her set up in the parallel bars and she needs that one-to-one -one attention. Um, but another patient came through in her wheelchair and she looked kind of down, not her usual demeanor. And in fact, one of the other staff members noticed that about her and kind of casually said, oh, you look kind of down today. Um, and she didn't respond. And then finally, when we found our position by the mat, um, I, I sat down next to her on a stool and I, and I got her attention and I said, are you sad today? And she actually said she was. She said, yes, I am sad today. So I had this other patient who was getting ready to participate, right? But this patient needed my attention in this moment, right? Because she was not her usual self. Something was blocking her and she looked very concerned and fearful. So um, I asked her if she would tell me what was going on and she felt comfortable doing so. And she had a deep fear about going home. And what it was related to was the stairs. So 
she felt comfortable enough to share that with me. And although we had been working towards that in the parallel bars, for example, we hadn't actually gone to a staircase yet, but that was something we were working towards. So I asked her if she would be open to trying it today, just to desensitize the fear, validated her fears, of course, first, told her it was very realistic to feel that way, um, brought her to the staircase. And I said, you know, just do the first step if you can. And then you can even come backwards back down. You don't have to keep going all the way up if you're not comfortable. Sure enough, she did it and she just kept going. She kind of just ran with it. And then um, she was so surprised by how well she did that it, it totally helped her, right? And the purpose of having empathy in that moment was I was able to give her a treatment approach that meant something to her. And that's what empathy really means. It's understanding the emotional driver, trying to understand it and then trying to unlock your patient's potential by giving them an intervention that means something to them, right? So um, after that point, we never had that concern again. And instead of fear, she became more driven to, to master that task. And the other patient um, who was waiting for me did not complain. She didn't complain that I was spending more time with another patient. She sympathized probably, if anything. And so I think patients, I think as physios and as healthcare professionals, we need to, again, make it about our patients. Patients will understand that um, you would do the same for them. You would take that same amount of time for them if they needed it. Yeah. And so with, with empathy, like, uh, is there a point where it can become like too much? I think it could. I kind of touched on that in the book. And that was kind of my own self-awareness, right? Like, I think it's possible to be too much of anything. I think it's important to have that cognitive awareness that you can understand what your patients are going through, but they, it's one thing to understand it. And it's one thing to take it on. And so I think if you take on that, that painful experience of what they're going through, then it can obliterate or it can kind of uh, make you fatigued, burnt out, but it can also impair judgment. So if that, so carrying on from that same story, if that patient continued to come into the space, continued to take up a lot of my time, then I would have the objective to know that that was not fair to my other patient, right? And I would have to do something about that situation rather than just ignore my other patient every treatment session, right? So that's where I can see it becoming a bit of a, a blurred line there. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Because I feel like you demonstrated the empathy in that situation um, through your kind of solutions and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of like how you would go about actually showing your empathy? Because like physios yeah. are empathetic, I think, by nature, you know, yeah. but that's not necessarily the same as like um, making that known. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it helps guide my interventions. Absolutely. Yeah. It's used as a guide for me. Um, and it gives meaning to my patients, right? So it helps me to guide a meaningful intervention approach that will make my patients feel at ease again and valued and heard in my care. So yeah, definitely. I, I know what you're saying. It, it becomes less technical that way. Um, right. But we still end up doing a technical skill but it's driven by an empathic connection and the compassion to to gently um, encourage my patient to to trust me in that situation to do something that might seem a pure that might seem a bit fearful to them but they trust that i know 
and I understand what they're feeling, what they're going through, and how this would help them. Yeah, and, and like I have a question for you. Like you talked sure. about the like key things. I think that was like demonstrating like you you recognize the fact that like something was was off by the person. You then you validated like what that was that they were like worried about. You asked permission to to educate or to give your input. Like all of these things are these things that you you feel are natural to you or were these things that you've actually like focused on learning and recognizing times when you you can implement these strategies because I feel like a lot of times people are like well we're all just empathetic and like it's just what you you, you can't learn it you know what yeah. I mean I've heard that a lot like even right. in our education as well at, at times so it's like I'd be curious to hear if you've actually like practiced to get good at, at being empathetic. I, yeah so that's a common question right can you really teach empathy can you teach communication a student just recently asked me that actually and I think you can I think you can you can teach about it but I think what you have to do is beyond just in clinical practice you have to implement it in everyday life right so I've found that in general I'm an empathetic compassionate person and I've found that that's just been a skill that's been refined over the years and has kind of spilled into my clinical practice over time in the beginning I was very um, technical, right? I, I took so many courses on and invested so much in manual therapy, acupuncture, things like that, that I thought would help my patients most. And although that's very important and everything, I think the delivery of that is, is just as important in how you communicate that in order for your patients to receive it. So it's not, it's something that's evolved for me, but I now have the hindsight to know, and that's why I wrote this book, to know how important it is so that I hope I can kind of on the front end help future healthcare providers start to, to realize its importance. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you can, um, I think there's other, there's people that are, let's say maybe born or, or better at being empathetic or have more of those qualities. Um, I would, I would also consider myself a pretty empathetic person. Um, but now over the years of as, as I've been exposed to more content about communication, about displaying empathy and like, you know, reading a book like yours or just like re reading other information online. Like I've started to realize that there's a lot of strategies that you can implement to again, display that empathy to people or even dive a little bit deeper into it. Like one big thing that, that I mean, you mentioned in your book and, and I've, I've heard it in other places, just asking permission, mm -hmm. um, like to treat, to educate, to, to, uh, give exercises, whatever it is. And like, I've noticed that has been a huge thing that's, that's helped my connection with, with people in my own practice. So like, there's definitely hundred percent strategies, obviously that can be implemented. And I think we need to do a better job of, of implementing them into like our education system, for example, as, as perfect. Yeah. yeah. I'm very, I, I would live to see the day that, um, we have clinical placements that are not so hands-on and that are just a step back and just observing interactions all day, even among healthcare providers, like interprofessionally too, um, but also between patient and provider. I think that's where it starts. But yeah, I would love for that because I think it's kind of hard to teach that when you're also trying to learn technical skills too, right? It can be a little bit overwhelming, but um, yeah, and that's why, and then when I wrote the book too, I, I purposely made it non-clinical for a reason, mm -hmm. because I think that's how people can relate best is through storytelling and then um, relating to those experiences themselves in their own lives or their practice. Yeah, yeah, totally. And like, I feel like 
Um, you know, we, we obviously have kind of recognized the value of this type of thing. And, and I, I think it's super valuable, but it seems like there's this bias towards like more the tactical skills. Yeah. I, I wonder if you have any insight as to like, why does it seem hard for people to really invest in this type of thing versus like learning more technical skills and, and maybe especially within like school? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. So that's what I was going to say. The school, I, I haven't been in school in a long time, but even postgraduate trainings and courses, I've never seen one that's been geared towards except for one, maybe the compass course that's been geared towards like communication and empathy and compassionate care, essentially. It's all been geared towards just, you know, manual techniques and, you know, acupuncture or taping, things of that nature. Um, and just the output of skill, the output of skill, the output of skill, but not the intake of information and how to process that or in, the intake of emotion and, and how to process that and, and communicate with that to also achieve effective outcomes, but also to find fulfillment in your practice, right? I think um, I, if I have two patients and they both achieve the same outcomes, I'm going to feel more fulfilled by the patient who finds value in those outcomes and feels so much more meaning behind it than the patient who just, you know, their pain's gone and they're, they're just content with that, right? Yeah. So it gives me connection to my profession and to, to humans in general, right? Yeah. Um, one of my favorite, like, strategies, not to give too many away, but one of my yeah. favorite strategies that you put in your <laughs> um, the one about um, focusing on solutions and not barriers. Um, and I think that, like, reframing negative beliefs and hopelessness is such a big thing that we deal with, like, on a daily basis as healthcare professionals. Um, so I was wondering, you use this term called like a solution oriented provider. Um, I was wondering if you could just like talk a little bit more about what that means and, and how you implement that, like in your practice. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, again, from the onset of our training to meeting patients and actually interacting with them, everything is bombarded with complaints, essentially, right? Things they can't, things patients feel they can't do, barriers that they perceive. And I think it's important to, we have to acknowledge that we can't focus on just the good things, because in order to get to the good things, we have to acknowledge what's limiting them, right? So, but then it's transforming those negative um, complaints and barriers to windows of opportunity, windows of solutions that, what, that are within there somewhere. That's where we come in. Um, so a solution-oriented provider is somebody who not only focuses on solutions, but also um, encourages patients to take action on those solutions. So that's what I mean by orientation there. Um, so for example, very simple example, when I work with patients on inpatient rehab, I'm meeting them for the first time, and perhaps we're, we're talking about bed mobility being an issue. So I'll have a patient demonstrate for me rolling in bed, and immediately they just pull on the bed rail. But in my observation, I know that they can actually use their legs and, and whatnot, and then making them aware of that. So I'll say, well, let's try that again, or I'll ask them, do you have a bed rail at home? And the first response is generally no, and then, they, and then it makes them stop and think. Okay, so then we start to think about home, right? Home's a possibility. That's why we're here. And so then I'll start to tell, ask them to 
for maybe one thing, just start to use your legs now, your hips now to help you to roll in bed rather than just relying on your arms to pull you over and pulling on the bed rail and start to think about yourself doing that at home. And just that simple thing to start with can make a huge difference because it allows them to feel self-empowered. It's something they can do, even though they can't walk yet, perhaps, or they can't stand yet. If they can do that small thing starting here, that small successive goal, it can lead to that bigger outcome, right? Because oftentimes patients overestimate the goal, right? They're, they're you know, in my situation, um, in my interactions, if I have patients who had spinal cord injuries, for example, and unfortunately they were previously independently walking and all of a sudden something's happened and they haven't been able to walk in a long time. They, their goal is to walk again, but it's getting them to stay current, stay present and use what they can right now to be independent. And oftentimes there's, there's always something they can do, even if it's outside of therapy and understanding the value of that too, of what they can do outside of their therapy times that's going to help them. And most, most patients run with that. They like, they like that concept. They can understand that, and it gives them independence in some way. Yeah, those are interesting thoughts. I feel like the nature of our assessment is kind of like to point, I don't know uh, why it's kind of like that, but to sort of point out the flaws, you know? Yep. Uh, do you kind of do the opposite? Like you sort of, you're pointing out things that mean you could go towards X, Y, and Z goal? Yeah, I definitely do that. I make, I'm, I'm consciously doing that. Um, so even if pain is an issue, um, I'll often ask patients if pain is an issue, for example. So let's say they have 90 degrees of shoulder flexion before pain hits. Um, I'll say to them, okay, so over time, if your pain doesn't change, but you can achieve you know, beyond that to the point where you can do something that's functionally meaningful for them, perhaps brushing their hair or something, washing their own hair again, um, would you be okay with that? Is, that? is that something you would be able to work towards? And oftentimes the answer is yes, but pain might be the barrier that they're coming to you with, with the complaint of, they might think that's the main thing, but really their function is, is underlyingly the most important thing, but it's bringing that to the surface, right? and working around that yeah. yeah i think it's it's a tough too because in in just in our healthcare world right now like we set these people up to be so aware of all the negative things that are going on right like yeah. i get it too when you get someone that comes in the clinic they're, they're they know it. they've been told exactly what's wrong with them or what might potentially be wrong with them um so i think taking that approach of being like solution orientated and like focusing on like what they can do or what they're yeah. Uh, what's a positive thing like it almost surprises people sometimes and it, and it can be actually I think like quite enlightening for people when you start to point it point out like the positive things or focus on the things that you can necessarily work on or change rather than yeah. being like well you can't do this or you have this limitation or you have this much pain etc right I remember working in orthopedics um, quite a bit and dealing with persistent pain uh, population of patients. Um, and I, a common thing I would say from the onset was that I don't chase pain. I chase function and I try to achieve function. And uh, I mean, I, I try to manage pain and we'll, we'll do that, but I don't give the focus to pain. And often I was, I was always very successful when I started doing that rather than just, you know, because when I was first starting every entry level 
provider can probably relate when a patient's not getting better and they're saying they're continuing to be in pain it kind of scares you a bit you're thinking you're doing something wrong you're missing something um, but really it's taking a closer look perhaps and maybe more or less working around pain and taking the focus off of that to more functional um, awareness right so yeah um how do you go about maybe helping people reframe their thoughts? Like, is there certain things that you, you ask or strategies that you use to, to do that? Yeah. So I ask them essentially how they're doing at that point And if they feel like they've been improving at this point, at the point that I'm seeing them at, because oftentimes um, they've been in acute care before I've seen them. So um, just kind of making them, even though aware of the fact that they can't walk maybe to the level that they want to right now, that since the onset of their illness, they have gotten better. So kind of just asking them what's, what's improved and getting them to focus on that and then allowing them to map out where they want to go from here and focusing more on those skills that'll help them get there. Yeah. I think like at the end of the day, it's like you really have to actually make an attempt to dive into the thoughts you do there's a bit of health there's a connection to you there's a bit of vulnerability that has to happen i think as healthcare providers we're used to being very stoic and you know i think you can break down a lot of barriers um if you yourself can be a bit vulnerable and again not not without crossing any boundaries of course but also um that allows your patient then to um, be a bit vulnerable too, because I think it's best when your patient's more forthcoming with information rather than withdrawing or withholding from you, because that's the only way you can help them. That doesn't have to happen all in one session, mind you. And I think we need to take the pressure off ourselves and understand that as well, that that can be something that happens over time, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to kind of maybe wrap up the, the, whole, the communication talk and stuff, have you ever had a time where like, you just had no way of connecting and communicating with somebody. And how do you, how do you go about that? Like, how do you navigate that? Yeah, this just recently happened actually. And I wrote a blog about it um, for my hospital website. So what had happened was a patient um, came into our hospital and I was meeting them for the first time and I just could not establish um, a connection with them there was just something that was there. And even though they consented to, to assessment, there just was not a connection. They, I found that they were very withdrawn, very indifferent. Um, they had no interest in how I could help essentially, but they were just kind of going through the motions. So it just didn't sit well with me. So I actually left the room with the, the assessment had finished, but it still didn't sit well with me to the point where I actually circled back. And I, cause I was thinking, well, why is this happening? So what I did was I actually asked them, what their, their events were like leading up to this admission, if like whether they knew they were coming to rehab, for example, and what this program actually entailed. And right when I asked that question, they totally started to speak and <laughs> they started to open up and they actually had told me that they had no idea that they were coming to our hospital for rehab, that they thought they were going home. So they were a bit upset and they were still wrapping their heads around that transition which made sense to me at that point. So what I had asked was if they still wanted that plan to happen, if they still want to go home mainly and not be here essentially. And that was, they were kind of indifferent. So we just let the, um, we just let the treatment kind of evolve over time. And it wasn't the best connection, 
but I have to say that to this day, this patient still comes and sees me and updates me on, on their, um, yeah, on their current status when really I felt like I had no significant impact on them, but I actually did by tapping in a little bit to why they were um, so withdrawn and so flat towards me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a great example of why it's important to just, you know, listen and ask those questions and try to like understand that person, like just plain empathy, like where that person is coming from. Right. Cause like if you wouldn't have like thought about that and like asked that, that one question, who knows what would have happened. Right. And like, you could have looked at it in a totally different way. You could have been like, oh, wow, like that person didn't connect with me. Like it wasn't a good experience. Like what the heck? Like what's wrong with them? What, you know, what's wrong yeah. with me? But right. taking yeah. it the other way, it can spin it into like what happened. Great. Yeah. And just, yeah, just simply ask them, right? If something's, you can tell something's not right, just what, what's going on. I had to probe a little bit more. I had to think a little bit more about it. But it kind of dawned on me when I walked out of the room, well, maybe they didn't really want to be here. And that's really what it was. And um, there's no shame in saying that. And then my goal, and then I made it a point to say to them, um, just so you know, from here on out, you're going to be a partner in your care, and you're going to be you're going to be the one who's guiding your transition home from here. We won't be telling you what's happening. You're you're going to be the one that's making that decision, and we're going to help you get there as safely as possible. And immediately had a sense of relief on their face, and were smiling, and um, yeah, and so. Had we not had that challenging discussion or conversation, I think every treatment thereafter would have just been very transactional and very meaningless in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was looking at your website and I saw that you have like um, some courses that you're putting on and like some mentorship stuff coming up. Is that? Yeah, I will be. Yeah, I'm hoping to launch. So like I was saying earlier, um, courses that are offered to us as physios and healthcare professionals in general are not really about uh, us as professionals and as humans. So I'm hoping to, especially um, the the healthcare professional purpose course, I'm hoping to launch where it'll be more of a reflection for healthcare providers um, to discover their purpose and bring fulfillment to what they do every day. And, you know, in turn, hopefully, build resiliency and avoid burnout down the road. Um, And mentorship wise. So right now I take on students as part of my hospital um, uh, job, but I'm also in through my mentorships. I want to focus less on the technical skills, right? That I do right now and more on the communication around that. So that's what I'm hoping to do as well privately with um, up and coming students or people that are currently healthcare providers in the field that are experts in the field that are just, missing something and it's probably the communication connection piece that they want to dive a bit more into to give meaning to their patients outcomes but also their own practice that's is that going to be all like online or how yeah so all you have to do is simply um just um, email me let me know you're interested in it and then i will connect with you perfect yeah yeah just to wrap up, um, why don't you let people know like where they can get your book, where they can find your your website, and, and look into like the mentorship and the courses stuff. Yep. So you can go to Amazon for my website, or for, sorry, for my book to purchase. Um, but it's also for it's also offered on um, Indigo's website, so which is international as well. They do deliver internationally. It's basically available on every global platform, so Barnes and Noble, um, for example. 
And yeah, they can go to my website to connect with me personally, my Instagram and my Facebook and Twitter. So. And, the, and what are the, what's your, what's your Instagram? Yep. Just I'll link it up in the, in the show notes, but just so people, if they're listening and they want to quickly search it. Yep. It's Jen George 08. Awesome. Yeah. And your book, the title is communication is care, nine empowering strategies to guide patient care. Is that it? Yep. To guide patient healing. Yep. Patient healing. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Jen, thanks so much for, for coming on and talking to us. I mean, one, the book was awesome. Um, I highly suggest people go out and get a copy and read it. Um, too. I think it's a big thing that we need like in the profession and, and to have more information out there about that is, is great. So it's awesome. And thank you for all of, all of the stuff that you're putting out. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for having me here. I hope I've, I've added some value to your listeners' lives. Um, definitely, yeah, definitely. Okay. Take all care. Right. Thanks, okay. Thanks, guys. Bye.